0: Searching for a new home? Make todayshomebc.com your online home base. With easy-to-search listings and connections to local realtors, everything you need is under one roof. Powered by Black Press Media, you can search hundreds of local listings, all in one place. Access the top real estate professionals to help you find the perfect home today at todayshomebc.com.
1: Welcome to PQ Beat the official podcast of the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. I'm Peter McCulley. He set the beat not only as a drummer for the legendary rock band Spirit of the West, whom he played with for 30 years, but for Doug and the Slugs, BTO, Long John Baldry, and more. Now he's setting the beat using a keyboard, which can have a nice rhythm of sorts, as an author, having just released his first book. Today we chat with Vince Dietrich, who makes his home in the Bay. Welcome, Vince. Hello. It's nice to be here. We certainly have a lot to talk about today because I have to tell you, it seems like you've packed a lot into your story so far. Tell me a bit about where you grew up, your parents did, what family life was like.
2: I grew up in southern Alberta. My father was a musician, a lifelong musician, so he basically taught me how to play. And he uh, let me play in his band from age of six onward I was eventually his steady drummer from about age nine. I learned a lot about polkas and waltzes and weddings. <laughs> I learned a lot about weddings.
1: Did he play a lot of different instruments, or was he a band leader?
2: He was a band leader. He was. Uh, he played a lot of wind instruments. He taught all instruments. He understood theory very well. He was a great reader. He uh, was not exactly a gifted ad-libber, but he could play orchestral stuff and conduct it very, very
1: well. This seems like a good story. You had your first paying gig as a drummer at age six?
2: Correct. I was along at a wedding where my dad was performing somehow I ended up on stage and I played a set I think there's a feature set four or five songs where I played with the band and I got ovations and tips and I thought oh man this is good and I went home he paid me that night he gave me 15 bucks.
1: Wow. Yeah. So you and I both had interesting diets when we were starting out we seemed to be about the same age and uh, when we were starting out in our respective careers.
2: I moved to Vancouver in the mid 80s and uh, I was very young 23, 22, 23. By the end of the second month, I was so broke. I had no gigs. Obviously, you don't waltz into Vancouver and say, Howdy, start employing me. It takes a while to get your traction, you know. I ran out of money. It was desperate. So I've figured out that i could go down to the local 711 which is two blocks away and i could get three hot dogs for 1 for a toony <laughs> or rather a loony and that i subsisted on that for oh at least 10 days
1: mine was vienna sausage little cans of the vienna cans sausage.
2: of yeah what they call in the states vienna sausage <laughs> yeah i know the ones <laughs> those are really desperate
1: looking as a drummer you get to set the tone for concerts But also, you get to take a step back and watch the performance of the band from behind the band. And that's always a very unique perspective.
2: Yeah, there's a a saying with many musicians that the drummer's the goalie. And he certainly holds down, he or she certainly holds down the, the goalie position on the stage. And you're best suited in that chair to feel the crowd's energy and circulate it through the band and back out to the crowd. It's a big circle of energy exchange. And uh, the drummer is generally best suited, uh, not only from his position on stage, but intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. Drummers gravitate to that job of just kind of watching for hazards and steering the boat, making sure tempos adjust. You know, because some modern bands play to a click track, so everything is synchronized with their electronics and their, their sequencing. But I know many times we have sped songs up because we wanted more energy that night or slowed them down because we felt really comfortable in a more elegant surrounding where people were sitting in soft seats and perhaps have had a little vino and you could just get a little more elegant.
1: Adrenaline has a lot to do with that too, right?
2: certainly and with spirit of the west it was all adrenaline all the time that was we were just a we were a sweat band and we knew it very fine musicians very very fine musicians but we understood that the people aren't worried about my ratamacs or my flammitiddles or my sticking on this or that they don't give a damn they want entertainment and entertainment comes from energy and hilarity and passion and movement That's what they want. That's what they got.
1: Well, they certainly did, and for a long time, too.
2: Yeah, almost 30 years. With Well, it was over 30 for the band itself. I I came in when they decided they wanted to add a drummer. I became their drummer and invented the role for myself.
1: Spirit of the West, when they started, didn't have a drummer.
2: No, no. It was uh, three-piece at first, just, you know, like a a baron, and then the the, the Irish hand drum, and uh, flutes, whistles, bazooki, banjo, acoustic guitar, vocals. Mm -hmm. So it was very traditional. Every once in a while, Johnny would break out the old Morse bells or the bones, and he'd stagger around making clicking sounds or jingling sounds. And, you know, he was just so charismatic and uh, such a ball of
1: fire that it didn't matter what he did. People just ate it up. You've been a musician pretty much all your life. You had your first paying gig at age six, as you say. Who do you look for to uh, inspiration and direction as far as musicians go? Anyone you'd like to have call you on a Thursday afternoon and say, hey, Vince, we need a drummer tomorrow night. Can you fly out?
2: Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm retired now. I mean, after 50-some years at the kit, I think I've said everything I need to say because now being an author requires full engagement. But in the day... I lived for being called at the last minute. I did it many, many times. Anybody who's a jobbing musician gets called at the oddest time. Somebody got sick or somebody didn't show up. Come help. <laughs> you know. And that is the best because you walk in and you can be the hero. Mm-hmm. You can make a couple of mistakes, but as long as you get through without them having to have a heart attack every song, you're the hero. And it's super fun and you always get an extra
1: beer for it. So act two, let's call it. Vince emerges as an author after retiring from the drum kit. So your first novel's been released. It's entitled The Liquor Vicar. Indeed. Has writing always interested you? Yes. In fact, I thought,
2: having been, you know, in a musical family, I just presumed it was kind of how all families went, and apparently it wasn't. And I took it for granted, and I really, really wanted to be either an astronaut or a writer or maybe a writing astronaut, And that damned Hadfield scooped me.
1: Well, if you were uh, an astronaut, you'd have the time to write.
2: Yeah, not much doing, huh?
1: (laughs) Just circling the Earth. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I don't know. It fascinated me. I I just really held those guys up as heroes. And I used to write to all the NASA installations and write letters to astronauts. And I just have... A 50-year-old collection of NASA information pamphlets, photographs, books, you know, like autographed uh, portraits of the big guys. Interesting. You know, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin,
1: Deke Slayton. That was the era we grew up in watching um, the Mercury, Gemini, Titan, Apollo mission. Titan was the launch vehicle. Gemini
2: was the capsule on top of it.
1: So there you haven't forgotten a thing. Not a bit.
2: I know Neil Armstrong's wife's maiden name. Okay. No, Sheeran. But, like, it's that bad. It's, um, oh, I'm, I am not right when it comes to that stuff. I watch Jeopardy, and occasionally they'll ask a space question, and somebody doesn't get it. I'm just yelling at the TV, you idiots. I know his father's address.
1: What do you read? Who do you read?
2: Well, like most men, I love history, you know, as opposed to fiction. Mm -hmm. I don't read as much fiction as I do history. I love, as a kid, I loved Robert Heinlein. Just loved him. Very big fan of Farley Mowat. I read any Churchill I can find. I have probably the biggest collection of Churchill books in the news, at least. (laughs) Bill Bryson, always funny, always brilliant. I'm just trying to think of the, you know, the most notable ones. I read something and I go, why don't they have more books? Or why doesn't that journalist have a book? You know, there's some brilliant writers out there.
1: It's a lot like music. It's a lot harder to navigate now than it ever was.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I also believe that writers are naturally geared towards hiding in a tiny room with a computer and may, perhaps under a blanket. They're publicity averse. They don't like bragging. They don't like to get out there. They don't even like their pictures published in journals or things like that. So then they go, well, why didn't my book sell? Well, why didn't our record sell? Because they didn't have a photo of you. They never saw a video. You didn't have any Zaz.
1: Well, that's not the case here. No. Tell us about the book, the characters, the plot
2: my main character is Tony Vicker. He lives in an imaginary Vancouver Island town called Tyee Lagoon, and he is a failed musician. He is a wannabe. I've known 500 guys like this who, their hairstyle never really got past the 70s and they're out of style and they're always on about the newest guitar and this guitar is going to be the one that's going to loft them over the top and they're going to have a big following in their tiny little town and just dreamers, you know, and God bless them. But (laughs) having been in music as far as I have gone, I look at that with a different perspective now, and I go, oh, man, if you were going to break, it would have had to have happened 35 years ago, and you're still putting on the show at the Moose Lodge. And it's okay if you do that as a hobby, but some of these guys really, truly believe still. I just have a a smile for them. I'm not derisive in any way. I just smile and go... Yeah, I guess some guys get into race cars and other people think, you know, they have their hobbies, but these guys take their hobbies so seriously. And that's Tony Vicker. He's that guy and he is beginning to become aware of how badly he's failed and how behind the curve he is in his life and he's come upon hard times. His musical career has been reduced to the point that he's DJing rural weddings. Which, to uh, somebody who thinks he's, you know, David Gilmore, that's the worst-case scenario. And he's also doing Elvis impersonations in the middle of his DJ act. So he's just feeling really loathsome, very, very down in, in the dumps. And at his very lowest moment, where the book starts, incidentally, I've started him at the darkest, most awful moment, which I think could serve to put off some readers. They might read that first two chapters and go... This guy's too dark for my taste. But it was meant to illustrate how something that innocuous can get that bad. I've seen it. I've lived it. And uh, so I included that. And then he meets his love interest, who is Jacqueline O'Neill, who everybody knows as Jackie O. begins slowly dragging him out of the emotional pit he's in. Eventually, they go out to dinner together. Not a great dinner because she's a pleasant, happy person and he's an old fart. They come upon a car accident, a fatal car accident. One of the passengers in the vehicle has died. The other one is just barely hanging on, and Tony Vicker somehow rises to the occasion and appears to have brought back to life the other person. He becomes very famous for bringing this lady back to life. And from there, he becomes famous, but not for the reason that he expected to become famous.
1: Lotto tickets are involved?
2: Yeah, because once he's done this one thing, every act afterwards has a pylon effect. You're apparently a lucky person. You do all sorts of miracles. Bless my lottery ticket. And he goes, sure, it's blessed. Ha, ha, ha. And then the guy wins. So this just adds and adds until he becomes internationally famous.
0: Why spend hours searching dealerships, comparing makes and models? Find the best of BC's inventory in one place, todaysdrive.com. You'll have access to inventory across BC, where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. Get in the driver's seat. Don't miss out on the many options we have available for you. Powered by Black Press Media, todaysdrive.com connects you with exclusive new and used car deals.
1: Well, I I read the book. It certainly has a pace. It really moves along very quickly, changes direction just as quickly as the pace. And I understand this is the first of three?
2: It is a trilogy. That's the origin story. And it was, incidentally, so fast-paced because I wanted to write it as if it was a TV show, a tightly cut TV show, because obviously I have plans to turn it into a TV show. So I wanted, especially this first book, to be punchy and quick, So people can go, okay, I get it, it's fun, I want to know where he's going in book two, and then three. It's world-building. It's a a funny, rustic, hard-edged world, but it's hopefully fun. And I hope everybody that reads it looks at the characters and says, oh, I know a guy just like that.
1: (laughs) So what was the creative process like for you? Did it take a fair amount of time to piece the story together? You have little bits of paper in your pocket, a chapter here and a chapter there. Or
2: you would not believe the amount of wandering around the house from corner to corner in my pajamas, muttering. My poor wife, She's, are you losing it? You know, no, I'm writing. <laughs> and how long? The, the first book took me a couple of years. A couple of years, of pretty solid effort, because you're kind of learning on the job how to write a novel. There are a lot of pitfalls and. Standard mistakes that neophyte writers make, and you have to reel it back in and start again on the proper path. And I did countless numbers of beta reads with my writer and artistic buddies. And I'd ask, What about that character? What about this turn of events? What do you think? What do you think? And I got a lot of helpful input, and I really kind of focus things down on this quick-paced adventure with, you know, enough levels there to indicate that there would be a lot more life and adventure in the subsequent
1: books. On this podcast, we almost always ask this question. What advice would you give someone pursuing a career path similar to yours? And now we've got two paths. So you can give two pieces of advice, if you like, about writing as an author or as a musician. I think my personality has me conclude that
2: listening to other people is unwise. I mean, you have to listen to a certain amount of advice from really highly qualified people, but don't think that everybody's highly qualified because they're more experienced than you, because a lot of people have only risen to their level of incompetency. And this is going back 50, 55 years. You know, you, you look at so-and-so in the tiny town as a child where you're the drummer, you're the 8-year-old drummer, and you ask the 20-year-old drummer, well, what would you do? Well, you don't know at age 8 that this guy has the most limited horizons. So if you put your faith in his judgment, you've hurt yourself. You've got to listen. You've got to reserve judgment on these things. That's what I did with writing. I did not submit to so to speak to doing things the normal way because i learned from rock and roll you just walk in the door and you push hard mm-hmm. you know politely hopefully charmingly but incessantly so instead of going through endless rounds of submissions and waiting for people to not like you you're asking them for permission to be liked you know and people they pounce on that that's ridiculous. You just go in and call the boss. Hello, do you have any idea who I think I am? (laughs) Here is my book. Read it. I commend thee. And they always read it. They always got back to me quickly. And, you know, God bless the book publishing people. They almost always say, not for us, but try so-and-so. And I faithfully did that. And I managed to track down somebody who was willing to take me on, which was Scott Fraser
1: at Dundurn in Toronto. So I have to ask you about the very profound experience you went through having a kidney transplant. Probably at my
2: sickest. I was in the hospital for about the sixth or seventh time. I was just down in the dumps. I'd had a couple of potential donors rejected for various reasons. I mean, it's such an exhaustive process to be a donor and be accepted as a donor. And I had another one that just you know, got turfed, there was some problem with... I don't even remember now. It's, your memory starts to go when you get that sick. My niece and her husband came in and they said, uh, how are you doing? How, how did things go with that uh, last donor? I said, no. He got pushed out of the sequence because it's something that doesn't match. So he said after a pause, well, they accepted me. So what ended up happening is that he had to fly all the way to Halifax and give away his kidney to someone he never met. Nobody knows who it is. It's an anonymous donation. And I, in return, received a kidney from an anonymous donor in Vancouver. So in between us, in between Halifax and Vancouver, there were seven, all told seven, so five more donors and recipients, which at that time, in 2016, was the longest chain they have ever been able to keep together to the end
1: Unbelievable. It
2: was unbelievable, and I thought I was going to collapse the whole chain because I got six shortly before that. For the very final shows of Spirit of the West, I ended up in the hospital. I had to check myself out and drag my dying carcass to the Commodore ballroom because I'd come down with H1N1, if you can believe it. That was the worst thing ever. So I managed to play those last two nights. I'm sure I felt the Grim Reaper hanging over my shoulder on a couple of occasions. And uh, I was in such good hands, though, because it was the final show. It was a very big deal in Vancouver. And Chris McFarlane from Great Big C, their drummer, he flew out to back me up in case I couldn't play. So there were a couple of times where I literally leapt off the kit, and he leapt in and took up right in the middle of a song. And then Pat Stewart one of my very favorite drummers in the whole world and one of my best friends, who's the Odds and Colin James and Brian Adams, and he's a gorgeous drummer. He was there, too, and he was ready to leap in. So I was totally covered off, and it was quite a beautiful way to end that 30-some-year career with those great guys.
0: Why spend hours searching dealerships, comparing makes and models? Find the best of BC's inventory in one place, todaysdrive.com. You'll have access to inventory across B.C., where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. Get in the driver's seat. Don't miss out on the many options we have available for you. Powered by Black Press Media, todaysdrive.com connects you with exclusive new and used car deals.
1: Well, speaking of concerts, I found a clip of you in concert with Spirit of the West where you sang lead vocals. And I wasn't aware you did that. I know you were tucked away in the back making things happen, but singing a tune that perhaps uh, first-time concertgoers to a Spirit of the West concert might not have expected.
2: Back in the late 80s, I had this little trio. I was in a little trio. We called ourselves the Croon tunes. It was Stephen Drake and Doug Elliott of The Odds, very heavy musicians and not right in the head, just like me. We were just three of a perfect pair, we dress in custard-yellow polyester tuxedos with big velvet bow ties, and I had nerd glasses with a band-aid. We sang the corniest available material. Madness. How much is that doggy in the window? Una paloma blanca. Blue Spanish eyes. And just put so much welly into it. We were an underground sensation in Vancouver. We'd play at the Railway Club, and it would be jam-packed with people. But it was madness. It was just so out there. That was one of the things that made me known in the city of Vancouver amongst the musical community. That, oh, you're hiring Vince? Oh, Have you ever heard him sing? This is crazy stuff, man. I think we had one night where I said, you know what? I want to try some one of my stupid songs. And I went, sure, we'll go back and have a beer in the middle of it. You know, any chance for a break, those lazy blighters. <laughs> and and I went out and I did it and Hugh McMillan accompanied me on his one of his many instruments and it was a huge hit it just went over the top so it became a staple of the show and I always did it and when we did our symphonic uh, recording and our symphonic touring I had a symphonic arrangement of that samore Done as a vocal feature for me, and I would prance about the stage like the silly git that I am, and the audience would sing and call. I would call, and they would answer, and it was just beautiful.
1: amore, Vince Dietrich. What's next for Vince?
2: Well, I quite literally finished book two in its first draft form and submitted it to my publisher last night. So the decks are finally clear for me to do some laundry and, I don't know, stick my head out of the burrow in the earth I have. I think my future for the next while is promoting book one and finishing rewrites on book two and then I'll have to leap into book three, and I have no idea where I'm going with it right now. I know how it has to end, but I don't know how I'm getting there. I really want to
1: thank you for your time today. You're very generous with your time, and good luck with the book.
2: Thank you very much, and this has been a lot of fun. I'm very happy to be here.
1: That's this edition of PQB. If you have suggestions for guests or topics, we'd be happy to hear from you.
0: You'll find our contact information on our website, pqbnews.com. Get fast access to breaking news by signing up now to Black Press Media's free newsletters and stay informed with all the latest news delivered directly to your inbox. You'll have access on any device so you never have to miss out again on the information you need to know.